0: If you'd please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians <clears throat> third chapter. I want you're reading uh, one down through Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Let's hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The grass with us, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Hey, Jess, give me some water. Please, there's none up here. Let's pray. <clears throat> our God and Heavenly Father, we bow before you as a needy people. Oh, Lord, we pray that our hearts might be open this morning to the instruction that you would have us to learn from this text. I pray that you would be with me as I preach this word. Oh, God, help me to be engaged. Help me, O oh Lord, to preach with passion, to preach with utterance, to preach, O oh God, by the help of your spirit. I plead for that. And pray that you'd be with the congregation, that they would not be sluggish in any way of hearing the words preached. We ask you to use the scriptures this morning to revive us. Use your word of God this morning to enlighten us, uh, to give us, Heavenly Father, a great new zeal for Christ and for your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The word evolution has gotten sort of a bad reputation. It really means uh, to uh, unfold. It is something that is from the Latin, an example of unfolding, unrolling, like a parchment, a scroll. But we know it has become so terribly associated with Darwin and his Origin of the Species. He actually used that term in his book, I think, The Origin of the Species. We can talk about, though, evolution of our lives, the changes that come, the growth that takes place day by day. We can also talk about the evolution of the gospel. How can we talk about the evolution of the gospel? When well, we can't talk about it so far as the plan of the gospel, the plan of the gospel is eternal. listen to this. This is fascinating what Paul is saying here. He's talking about the history of redemption, which takes place back in eternity past. God has no new thoughts. If God had a new thought that was meaning, there was something he didn't know. He has no new thoughts. He knows everything. His understanding is infinite. The plan of the gospel was with Christ from all eternity. It never was that God had to come up with an alternate plan when the fall took place. What Paul is describing here is God's determination to save a people and how he did that. It's fascinating. So we talk about not the evolution of the gospel so far as the plan is concerned, but the evolution of the gospel so far as the unveiling of it. As far as the how of the gospel, the who of the gospel, uh, the blessings that come to us from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are things that God has given to us. And he gave these things to us as a church that we might be encouraged and comforted by the surety of the gospel for it comes to us from our great God not the thoughts of men, not the interpretations of men's imagination, but that which has come to us from God. Well, the first thing then, the gospel was hidden for a time, Paul says here in the text. We can talk about the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel is referred to here in two ways. The first one is, as I said a moment ago, we didn't know about it. It was hidden in the mind of God. It was hidden in the mind of God and slowly revealed over centuries, until it came to fruition with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. It was hidden, and it has been revealed. But another part of the mystery is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the plan of God. Uh, the Old Testament saints knew that the Old Testament sacrificial system was not sufficient. And Why? Because it had to be sacrifices given every day. We read that in the book of Hebrews as a reminder that their sins had not been paid for. Day after day after day after day, the sacrifices were made. That's a part of the heresy of the, of the Mass in the Roman Church, where Christ is sacrificed every time the Mass is performed, a re-sacrificing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the, uh, the bread of the uh, uh, the host becoming the literal body of Jesus, and the wine becoming the little blood of Jesus, you can see how that is terribly contrary to what the Bible teaches us Christ was sacrificed once for all. So the Old Testament saints knew that there was something that was going to happen. And We read in the book of Genesis when Noah was born, perhaps he is the one who will give us rest in anticipation, looking forward to the one who was to come. And so they knew, even though they did it faithfully, they knew that this was not the ultimate answer for the problem of sin and the problem of guilt. And then the inclusion of the Gentiles. In the covenant. Now, were there any Gentiles in the Old Testament? Any that were not Israelites who were brought into the covenant? Yeah, the Assyrians, the Ninevites. They were, as you remember, as Jonah went and preached there, there was a revival. Well, then, if we're going to talk about the gospel, there is the need to understand in detail what the gospel really is. In the Bible, uh, the word for uh, in the Greek is euangelion, which means to announce good news. And certainly the gospel is good news, is it not? The gospel basically is taking someone who is guilty and has no hope of salvation, nothing but condemnation, and brings that person into a relationship with God where God says not guilty. That's the gospel, that Christ died for you. That Christ rose for you. That we are justified through faith because he was risen from the dead. That's the gospel. That should be something that excites you. That should be something that thrills you. And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with you. Not the gospel, but with you. The best news that there is available to anybody is not... Your tests have come back clear. You do not have cancer anymore. That's not the best news that there is to be received. Your wife has given birth to a healthy son. That's not the best news. Those are wonderful things. We like to hear those things. Your Aunt Emma has left you $50 million. Always loved Aunt Emma. That's not the best news either. The best news is what is contained in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the message of the gospel is the message of redemption and salvation and the forgiveness of our sins before a God who hates sin. You think God winks at sin? You think that God smiles at sin? He hates it. And if you want to see how much he hates it, look at the cross. Look at the cross of Calvary. That is how we see clearly how much God hates sin. So, understanding of the gospel, it is the best news, the greatest news that we will ever have or ever hear in this life. And as wonderful as it is, it is for those who trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Those and those alone. Well, it shows us, does it not, Uh, The greatness of our God, the kindness of our God, the love of our God, the mercy of our God. All of these things uh, uh, demonstrate to us uh, how wonderful God is and how kind he is. The gospel does that. If your determination of what God is like is through circumstances, you're going to have a bad view of God. If your education for who God is and what God is like comes from the circumstances in your life, you're going to have a bad opinion of God. Why? Because bad things happen to us. Our next chapter in Knowing God in my Sunday School class, which we won't get to until the fall, was chapter 10, God's Wisdom and Ours. That's the chapter where Packer says, sometimes it seems like there is no benign, loving God ruling the universe. John Calvin said something very similar to that. When we see some things happening, we can kind of say to ourselves, well, where's God in this? If he's loving, if he's kind, where's God in this? This doesn't speak of a loving and merciful and kind God at all. Rather, It speaks of a God who seems to be rather harsh. A God who speaks, seems to be kind of mean. But we know that he's not. How do we know that? How do you know God is not mean? How do you know that? How do you know that? From the Bible. Not from circumstances, but from the Bible. That's how we know that, through the gospel of Christ. That's how we know that. And so it is that this gospel that is preached, this gospel that is taught, is inseparably linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me say this. Where there is preaching without the gospel, it is not preaching. That's the problem of preaching law, law, and law, and no gospel. You end up with two things if that's taking place behind the pulpit. One is, at its worst, an idea of a work salvation. The other one is you preach basically moralism. When the gospel is not present with preaching... Where Christ is absent from preaching, there's no preaching really at all. There's no, no gospel preaching anyway. Christ is central to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is that he must be in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end of the proclamation of the Word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Well, these mysteries that the Apostle is talking about here, this mystery that he mentions twice in, this, uh, in, the, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and uh, earlier on in here as well in this chapter, uh, the gospel was present in the Old Testament. It was present in seed form. 1 Peter three eighteen through 20, For Christ also suffered our, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience awaited in the days of Noah, when the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. This text generates debate. Some think that what this is saying is that Christ went into hell and preached condemnation to those that were there when he was in the grave. It seems to me that doesn't agree with Scripture. Jesus says to the man next to him, today you shall be with me in paradise. I think what this is saying is this. The gospel was preached by Noah through the Spirit of Christ to those people that were there in the days of Noah. Which they're now in prison, they're now in hell. Why? Because they did not believe the word that was given to them. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, for the good news. Another way to translate this in that verse is gospel. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. With those who listened, for we who believed entered that rest. what is here? What is he saying here? Why didn't the gospel benefit them? Because they didn't enter the rest, he says here. They, didn't, they, they, they ignored the, uh, they gave up the, we have the rest, what's our rest? Our rest, resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I rest of and, and looking forward to going to heaven. Canaan was a picture of heaven. The land of the promise, the picture of the heaven that was to come to God's people. And they did not believe the promise of salvation connected to that. They did not believe the word of God. So what was their problem? It was a lack of faith in the word given to them. The same thing is true today. The same thing is true today. People do not believe the gospel. Therefore, they don't have salvation. Therefore, they are condemned. Before the living God. And we know that apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith was essential for salvation in the Old Testament. Abraham believed God, he was declared righteous by that faith. How we've saved through faith in God's Word. Hebrews 11, verse 6 And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever uh, would draw near to God must believe that he exists, right? Must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So their faith in the Old Testament was in God's word, not in the sacrifices. Not in their works, but in God's words, which they did believe was not true. So the gospel preached to them. And they rejected it, and they were lost. Here the apostle Paul, given to the Gentiles for the proclamation of the word. Well, the gospel again, hidden in the Old Testament, and then revealed in the New Testament. You know, at the close of Old Testament history, after the book of Malachi was written, there was 400 years of silence, no prophets, no word. Silence. The next great event that happened, as far as salvation is concerned, the birth of Christ. And what a night it was! The angels appeared in the sky, singing praises to God. The shepherds going to see this place where He was born in the um, in the barn or the cave. The wise men going to His house. And worshiping What an event that was. And so all of these texts in the Old Testament that referred to the advent of Christ, referred to the work of Christ as in Isaiah 53, there they were coming to fruition with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ teaching, Christ going to the cross and dying, Christ being raised from the dead. All the Old Testament saints had were pictures of those things. The gospel hidden, the gospel of mystery, the gospel revealed. And so the the apostle Paul had set upon him to preach that gospel to the Gentiles. Now, during Paul's day, uh, the mystery had already been made apparent, right? Jesus had already come. The work had been accomplished. All the Old Testament pictures were fulfilled with the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. All those things had been fulfilled. But Paul needed to be enlightened. The apostle Paul, I think, at that time, was the greatest enemy to the church that existed on the earth. The problem is he was a righteous man in his own eyes. He was a righteous man, and then he kept the law. His was a work of salvation. And as he persecuted Christians, as he stood by and watched the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death with much approval, uh, as he was going to arrest Christians in Damascus and bring them back in chains, he was the greatest enemy to the church. He hated. He hated Jesus. Then just wasn't indifferent to him. He hated him. And there. After it had been fulfilled, the mystery made known, the Apostle Paul had to be convinced of it. And that's what happened with his conversion. The light came, you know the story. I hope you do. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Says Paul, stricken blind, you know. He tells him who he is, and there the conversion of the Apostle Paul brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was necessary for that revelation to be given to Paul, that he would be born again. And what a change it made in that man's life. My, oh, my. If you ever want to see somebody where conversion made a difference, it's the Apostle Paul. He becomes the greatest missionary the church has ever known. I love the end of 2 Peter. I've said this before, but where Paul is taken and he's on trial, he says, everybody left me. They all deserted me. I stood alone. Except Christ, he said, stood with me. So he knew the strength and the power of the presence of Christ. In that time in his life, he knew the strength of the Lord as he stood there. And he said, he did not desert me and I did not fail. What he means here, I believe, is this. I continue to stand firm with my conviction of the reality of the gospel. I didn't say, I don't know Jesus. I made a mistake. Let me live. Well, he stood strong, not by his own power, but the power of Christ living in him. That gave him the strength to stand and make the defense and to be willing to die for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things had to happen in his life before he was useful to God. The first one is God's grace. You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. God's grace given to him. That essential aspect. Grace has to be worked. Grace has to be given for somebody to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So by God's grace, you see, this man realized that he was helpless, that he was wicked. He was a breaker of the law. And Christ was his only hope in this world and in the world to come. So the apostle Paul, then there was necessity of grace in his life and the necessity of the revelation of the truth to Paul by the Lord Jesus. So he says that again to the Gentiles. You know, so he became a prophet, apostle, a preacher to the Gentiles. And he tells them, I'm in prison because of you. And was he trying to make them feel guilty? No. No, he was not trying to do that. But for them to understand the importance of the gospel in the life of the Apostle Paul, the importance of the gospel in itself was made him be willing to go to prison for the sake of these people he had been called to preach the gospel to. I'm in prison for your sake. And it was the, the Jews were persecuting Paul. He was in prison because of the Jews and because he had taken the gospel to these Gentiles. You don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to do that. Trust in Christ. That's all you need to do. Rest in Jesus. That's all you need to do. And so he was persecuted and he was put in prison for the sake of the Gentiles that he was sent to preach the gospel to in his life. So what's to happen then? Well, he was called to declare the gospel. He was called by God to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, and he did. He preached to Jews, but his primary focus, his primary ministry was the Gentiles. So we traveled all throughout Europe, you know that, preaching the gospel to those who so desperately needed to hear it. And the church has begun established, and the church began to grow. Acts 1, as you know, in verse, I think it's verse 9, is an outline of the book of Acts. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's an outline of the book of Acts. As Paul takes the gospel to these places. Well. What is your treasure in your life? What do you treasure? Some men might say, well, I treasure my wife. Well, why do you treat her so poorly if you treasure her? Because we treasure, the things we treasure, we treat them nicely. We treat them well, the things that we treasure. We take care of them. If you treasure your wife, you take care of her, right? Because the things that we treasure, we care for them. As you all know, I drove around in a pretty a car was kind of shot for years. Uh, but I kept driving. I had a quarter million miles on it to kind of finally... Had to put it to sleep. Had to put it down. And I got the Mountaineer This I'm driving out there, which is kind of, it's about time to put it down too, but I'm not quitting on it yet. When I first got that car, I won't let people eat in it. I was taking Miss Smith back to Hattiesburg. You can't eat in my car. Wasn't that a terrible thing to do? So we'll stop and get something. You can't, can't eat in the car, though. I smell like onions. But after a while, I began to eat in it myself. And after a while, things began to get spilled on it. And after a while, things began to get little dents in it here and there. And after a while, other things began to happen to it, like it get flooded. Things run to water in my car. They told me to tow it out. What am I going to do for a car? So I kept it. But you see, the value of the car to me as a precious treasure faded. It faded. My concern is. The gospel fading to us. Have we gotten so accustomed to it? Have we gotten so involved over the years of hearing it? That it's just not a treasure to us anymore. It was to Paul. It is to God. It has to be to us as well. If you don't treasure the gospel, your spiritual life is going to be terribly, terribly hampered. The benefit of the gospel... Guarantees our place in glory, does it not? It guarantees our sins are forgiven completely. Not sort of, but completely. And listen to this. In the trials of our life, the sufferings, the demonstration of demonic forces, and they're there. The difficulties we face in life day in and day out. The heartbreaks that we have. We see the name of Christ blasphemed as we have most recently. And we see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh Despised as we have recently, and the pundits of, our, of society saying, the enlightened mind, society of our society saying, you are a fool for believing that, and it cuts us to hear his name blasphemed. But as Paul writes in Romans eight eighteen, listen to this: For I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy of being compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's the gospel. For I am convinced that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that shall be revealed in us. You will not experience heaven here. Matter of fact, sometimes life here is rather hellish, very difficult. You're not going to have heaven here. It's simply not going to happen. We have heaven when Christ returns, or when we die and go to heaven. That's when we experience the glories and the joys and the wonder of redemptive work in its fullness. Do you know Jesus? John R. DeWitt was a professor at RTS in Jackson. Great preacher. Great preacher. He has gone to be with the Lord. He said to his students one time, "One day, when you preach, don't assume anything. When you preach, don't assume anything. I always will call you to faith in Christ because I don't assume anything. There may be one person here, one person who's outside of faith. So I ask you, do you know Jesus personally? Do you own him as your Savior? Are you just going through the motions of being religious? If you don't really know him personally, I would urge you to come to faith in Christ. And the great blessings of the gospel are yours today. The fullness of the blessings are yours one day. And are we willing, as the Apostle Paul was willing, to suffer for the cause of Christ? To be willing to go to jail for the cause of the gospel? Willing to be put out for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to suffer at all? I'd rather kind of hide our Christianity in a cloak so that we won't have to bother with uh, being put out or being persecuted or whatever the case may happen to be. Trust Dr. Robertson, after I graduated from seminary, I saw him and I said to him, before I had a call, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I can be a senior pastor somewhere. He said this to me Trust and the God that lives within you. Be a man of faith. Let's pray.